You're listening to The Voice, episode 38. This episode, hosted by Graham McCatchick. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another interesting edition of The Voice. I'm your host, Graham McCatchick, and today's topic is news and storytelling in the digital age. And joining me here today is a man that really does not need any introduction, but I am pleased to be joined by Canadian news legend, Kevin Newman. How are you, sir? I'm good. I'm a legend now? I'm <laughs> that old, eh? <laughs> uh, so Kevin is, of course, a digital, new, digital news evangelist for CTV and co-host of Question Period. And he's formerly news anchor and executive editor at Global National. And yes, I did say digital news evangelist, uh, but I can assure you, and I'm sure Kevin would too, mm. that it's nothing to do with Jimmy Swaggart, right? No, <laughs> no, it's not, it's not that kind of evangelism. But you what it is, it. is it's a, um, you know, evangelism, if you look at the definition, is to try to convert someone to a new way of thinking. And whether that's religious uh, or whether it's digital, that's sort of what I'm at Bell Media to do. Yeah. And... I was when I was doing some research for the podcast. I was looking online, of course, and came across a blog post you did where you're sort of saying it's uh, to be a champion of innovation, change, and conversion. And my question is, like, where does the role between, like, where does the role intersect as an evangelist uh, and diverge from a role of, say, a brand journalist? Is it the same? Does it overlap? How do you see that? Um, well, I think. I think they're two different things. I mean, I think um, uh, I'm evangelizing mostly internally. So, uh, I mean, I have an external life, and the expression of that is my journalism. Uh, the internal part of what I do is I, I, uh, I try to reduce uh, the fear of a traditional news organization in embracing the future, because there's a tremendous amount of fear on the inside right now. Uh, people don't necessarily understand how the universe is shaping and they are um, afraid of losing their jobs, mm -hmm. afraid nobody's going to be around to listen to their stories anymore, and they don't have the skills that you guys have, which are to you know, uh, publish or perish. They don't understand how to do podcasts. They don't know how to you know, edit on Final, Pro, Final Cut Pro. So um, they're kind of trapped. So internally, I guess my job as an evangelist is to say, it's okay, it's, not, it's happening, uh, it's not happening as quickly, but you actually do have to be prepared for the fundamental and profound change that's just around the corner for television news. I think. Okay, and so what in, on, in, on, on that tip, what have you sort of seen in terms of the changes that are taking place and how does it impact you on your role? Yeah, I mean my view is, is that we have not gone off the cliff like radio and print has, uh, but we're in danger of it really soon. And the reason is bandwidth. Yeah. Um, you know, you can you can send an email, you can send the printed word, you can send the audio instantly, but we st we're still uploading to YouTube for video because we haven't had the bandwidth. That's about to change with 4G. So once 4G is rolled out across the country and you can send a, a, a moving image as easily as you can send an email, television news is tremendously threatened. It's also a tremendous opportunity that if we're smart, uh, we'll be able to convert uh, any citizen out there who happens to be in the middle of a news event uh, to feeding our news machine with whatever that they have. Okay, so this is this feeds nicely into the next uh, discussion. I want to. Hello, Yeah, there you go. 
Nice segue. So the newsroom climate seems to be getting a lot more volatile, and you know reports of declining ad sales and job cuts, and you know there's of course all these pressures to right yeah deliver quality news in less time. But that said, there is also this, at least in my view, it appears to be this push towards marketing news media as quote unquote trustworthy. Mm -hmm. And has, in your view, there been a line drawn in the sand between news people can trust and news people that and news that sells? Like are, are well, there, the, uh, yeah, no, we're hoping those two things uh, are, are our lifeline for the future. That if, um, in, in a world of overflowing information and instant communication, that the value added of a trusted source is something that we can sell. Now, I don't know that that's going to be the case. Um, but if it's not the case, um, then, you know, the destruction of journalism is going to happen a, a lot faster than, than I think. I, I think, um, you know, I, I believe that if you look at Google searches for news and if you look at the way people consume the news, they're still going to the established brands. That there's enough audience pattern behavior now that yes, people look at blogs, they look at opinion, but they're also migrating towards brands that they can trust uh, that have traditional values of journalism. And, um, you know, The Economist, The Wall Street Journal, for instance, are about the only two that I know of that have sort of figured it out. And, um, and so I think there is a future for that. What we have to do is we have to do the kind of quality journalism that people are willing to pay for. If we only do the kind of frivolous journalism they can get you know, on TMZ.com, uh, we don't have a hope. So we have to go back to our core values and our core principles, do a better job of hard, investigative, uh, profound, challenging reporting, and in the belief that that, in the end, will be uh, brand, a brand differentiation and something people might be willing to pick okay. up. So, and one thing that keeps coming up is, uh, in a, all, of all the various podcasts we do on this series, is the, the impact of influencers. And, you know, that's, I'm really seeing that come into the news space, even something like you, you know, you, people would want to tune in because, you know, they believe what you're saying. They believe the caliber of journalism that's being delivered. Mm -hmm. But yet, in this day and age, you know, somebody that's on the front lines with a flip phone can capture something that's happening be probably uh, just as you know impactful. And Syria is a classic example right yeah. now. There are no traditional journalists in Syria. Right. It's citizen journalists that are sending out the imagery. Yeah, exactly. So you know, that's what I mean. Like, do you see a, a day and age where you know? Mainstream news media almost have like a stable of on the ground citizen journalists. Yeah, somehow. absolutely. You know, uh, I know there's some models moving that way, and I haven't yeah. seen them be like overly successful yet. But yeah, no, I mean, what we have to do is we have to open up our doors to UGC, user generated content, and citizen journalism, and say, um, we'll help you gather it. Um, we might pay you something for it, and. Uh, give it to us versus our competition because, uh, and by competition I mean free, um, because we will provide more heft and more value to you as a citizen journalist if, if we broadcast okay. it. So I think there is a, I think there, I think there, that's where we're moving toward what we need to do as traditional organizations is let go of our fear and open up our doors. Yeah, and you know it's, some, when you say like you know we'll pay for it if you're like a citizen journalist for instance, you know then and then you know this whole model of advertising, of course, that keeps us, keeps mainstream media moving, um, as well as many other blogs, etc. You know, there's this risk, of course, that always is, is around bias. And like you know, in the digital age, some might say they're really concerned about that because there appears to be more syndication. 
you know, of mainstream content that gets dispersed. And, you know... So you mean bias, meaning that the news organizations have bias or that the citizen journalists supplying it have one, bias? One opinion being dispersed over many yeah. platforms versus, you know, multiple opinions that people can have access yeah. to. So if, you know, if you read any given paper, how many times has that same article reappeared? Just because yeah. of, you know, this dilemma with... Yeah, I mean, if I think of my own news consumption habits, if I want to research a topic, um, I think I have more access to more of the world's voices now than 10 years ago. And maybe I'm, I probably am a more sophisticated news consumer than most, but I have to believe that people will click through a couple. Hmm. And they might get, um, uh, you know, they might go to the, the Times of London. Or they might go to the New York Times, or they might go to you know um, Huffington Post or whatever. Right. But they will they will scan a couple. I I, I do think that we are uh, seeing the emergence of a generation of consumers of news and information that has the skill that journalists used to possess okay. alone, which is the ability to sort through a lot of sources and zero in on the ones that okay. seem credible. Now, do you believe you know the core news consumer now? Uh, is I would say this is almost an acquired and developed skill. I believe probably the next generation, the the, the youth that are mm -hmm. in high school now or even younger, they're going to be so used to sifting through all this information 100%. and hundred and honing right in on where to go. Yeah, much more probably effectively than people are now. But, yeah. Um, One of the things I do yeah. worry about though is is, is Google's al algorithm for news. Okay. Uh, sometime um, try this out. Okay. Uh, if you enter. Um, Syrian uprising in the Google News search. Take a look at what kind of information you get and then take a look at the kind of sources somebody in another country or on the other side of the country get. And one of the things that the algorithms are doing is they're looking at your consumption patterns, they're looking at who you look at, and they're tailoring that Google News search. So what ends up happening over time is your exposure to ideas gets narrower and narrower as Google starts to learn more and right. more about your consumption habits. Right. Okay, so yeah, great. We're, I'm going to get in a little bit more about that in just a second. But do you think newsrooms are getting better at worse at reporting news in the digital age? Uh, traditional newsrooms? Yeah. Uh, worse. Uh, and the reason is, is they've been um, cut to the bone, yeah. largely. Uh, we had a classic example of this this last week where uh, there was the oil spill uh, out near Red Deer in Sundry, Alberta. And, uh, you know, a news organization sent up a helicopter to take the pictures. The premier said nothing to see here. The company said nothing to see here. Mm -hmm. um, we, a question period, we said, mm, not so sure. We found a family whose um, um, place had been devastated by the oil spill who said a completely different version of the events. Yeah. But what ends up happening is that because of the contraction of traditional media, it's harder and harder to send people out there to look with their own eyes. Okay. And so that's a problem. Okay. So yet, while you know, they're getting potentially worse at reporting the news with their marketing and asking consumers to trust them. Right. And so it's, it's interesting, you know, and then you've got citizen journalists out there also playing into the mix that hopefully are balancing out what may or may not be, yep. you know, again, yep. like I come back to the possibly a bias in how things get reported, depending, yep. depending how much syndication is going on. Yeah. Okay, there there so. is, by the way, a bias in how things are reported. Yeah. I don't know anybody sure, yeah, good who point. would ever claim <laughs> that this is a completely impartial thing because that's just not human. Sure, yeah, good point. Yeah, yeah. Excellent point. So, 
Now, what about media relations? For anybody out there whose business yeah. is media relations, is the role of uh, media relations getting more or less important? The opportunities are enormous. Uh, because, I mean, and I, I, I tell this to friends of mine that work in media relations all the time, don't even think about sending a fax. A, yeah. <laughs> most of the newsrooms have yanked them out. Right, yeah. B, nobody's got time to look at it. And right. yet, you know, media organizations, so often things are still sent out by faxes and alerts. Sure, yeah. So, I mean, the ability of, um, of organizations and companies to shape their own message has never been bigger. Uh, it's never been better. Uh, what gets in the way of it? the advertising agencies that they hire to manage their their imagery. Okay. And uh, so if they can figure out how to grow their public relations and media management thing without the advertising agency finding out about it, yeah. they're in a brilliant space. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I always say, I, I don't know how you, if this is the right phrasing of it, but I, always, I still believe just at the core, forging true relationships with reporters by providing real news value and working to make sure that what you're delivering is real news value is is the best approach and never will change. Yeah, it's getting, I mean, media relations, when it's effective, is moving more towards journalism. In And this is the hardest thing internally for a company to recognize, but the more transparent they are, the more honest they are, yeah. the more revealing they are, the more that they uh, talk about their mistakes as well as their successes, the more credible they are and not needing uh, to use the filter of the media to be able to get their message out. Now, internally, especially in large organizations, that's a really, you gotta have a CEO at the top yep. who believes in that, yep. because nothing between that level and the middle will let it Yeah, happen. but let's face it, CEOs and any great communicator in this day is gonna recognize that because the need for genuineness and authenticity, et cetera, you can't be a CEO in this day and age and get by anymore. It's not like you can There's pass off your... There's still out there, yeah, brother. Yeah, really you, hey, no, I believe yeah. that. I'm not saying there aren't. I'm just saying that the way this world's moving, yeah. the, the, like the enlightened upper ones. brass better recognize that you know yeah. they're not going to be able to get away with asking their comms team to, to do all the communications for them anymore. Right. The enlightened and successful CEOs, are the, are the enlightened CEOs on that are the most successful CEOs. Yeah. And, um, and that's, you know, you know, for... For people who are in the business that, that you guys are, are thinking of, if you can get to the CEO level, my, my view is that's the only way that you're going to, and find yeah. the right guy yeah. and, or woman. Does anybody stand out in your mind who's really done a great job in that realm? Well, that would be the classic one everyone points to is the Maple Leaf Foods. Uh, okay, one. great. Yeah, yeah. So that's the classic one. But more and more, you know, more and more people are seeing uh, their job as CEO in engendering uh, culture change, mm -hmm. not just managing the business. Yeah. But I'd love to know, like, what's the one life moment you're never going to forget that can really help out our listeners become better digital storytellers? Is there something that's happened for you that really sort of is that defining t moment? Um, well, for me, because of my age, um, it was um, when I ran across a guy named Brian Liu, who uh, was part of the original team of Global National. He was straight out of uh, UBC, and um, he introduced me to Facebook. And this was, I mean, I was, an, for my age, I was actually an early adopter of Facebook. Okay, all right. And he knew about it because he was on a campus and it was still the, it was still the college thing going on. Um, but to me, it was listening to how the younger generation sees communications and turning over um, part of how you communicate to them. I mean, my view is, is that the generation divide on communications is bigger than any generational divide in 100 years. Used to be about you know attitudes towards sex, attitudes towards music, um, but now it's about how two different generations communicate in fundamentally different ways and how they see communication. So your job 
if you're over 45, is to not imagine you know how to communicate with your customers and with your audience. The truth is, uh, the youngest people in your office know more about that. And a lot of companies, a lot of advertising agencies, a lot of media companies are having trouble putting young people in leadership positions when it comes to issues of communication. And that is why they're struggling. Yeah, and I wonder why that is. Is it the, the, is it the, like the core uh, management or leadership skills? That they don't understand it. You know, you go to, you, go, you know, they, they, don't, they don't use Twitter. They don't, they don't yeah. communicate in communities. Uh, so they're afraid of it. Yeah. Uh, they don't think it can be, it looks like it's chaos. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, some people believe that the best managed companies are the best controlled managed companies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they need, to, they need to let go of that as fast as they possibly can. Yeah. Uh, take uh, a third of the people around your executive suite knock them off the end and bring in people who are under the age of yeah. uh, 35. Yeah, no, and Amanda, it's like, I wonder if, you know, senior teams are just not feeling like the younger staff who might be able to play those roles don't have yet developed leadership skills, people management No, they don't have that. Or, what, they, what they do have is a much better understanding of how to communicate yeah. and how to create better business models, how to create more creative ideas yeah. Uh, by reaching out to the community instead of the hierarchy. Okay, great. And and what about who's inspiring you to tell better my stories? Son. Okay, great. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I uh, I watched and and my daughter to a lesser degree. She's not. Yeah. She's she's a bit old school, but my son was dialed into this from the very beginning, and we, you know, I gave him the tools. He taught me how he was using the tools. Yeah. And um and so I have wrote, wrote, written his coattails. <laughs> I continue to. He just wrote a piece for Adobe about the nature of advertising and things, and I look at it and I go. Shit. That's amazing. <laughs> um, so I, I, yeah, I mean, to the point of right. learning from um, learning from the next generation. I mean, um, the problem with the boomers is, of course, is that they 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 think they're still twenty and thirty year olds themselves. So they, they don't they don't they don't imagine that anybody could possibly be hipper or more right than them. <laughs> no digs at anybody. In yeah, yeah, no, no. Hey, I'm a boomer. I'm talking about my own gen. My uh, my wife is. I have a two and a four year old, and my wife is out back, and my kids are playing with our neighbors and. Uh, the six-year-old, my, my, my mother said, hey, uh, let's just use a fake name. Hey, Beth, um, can you just remember to be a little bit careful when you play with our two-year-old? Yeah. She's not as old as you. And the six-year-old said, uh, yeah, I can, but can you remember that I'm only six and I'm not always remember? <laughs> yeah. So I think the point here is, yeah. like, know the audience, know what, you know, um, well, they know, but, not, but remember, they're smart. Like, well, exactly. Age, you know? And I, I, there was a classic YouTube thing that was circulating a couple of months ago of uh, a father shooting his, I think, three-year-old daughter playing with an iPad. And she was, like, sweeping it and she oh, yeah. was growing it. She knew exactly what to do with an iPad. And yeah. then he took a magazine and put it in front of her. Yeah. And she tried to sweep the magazine. She tried to grow the thing. And she got frustrated and hit the magazine. And the dad's line was, hey, magazines are iPads that don't work. That's right? Great. So you got to start to understand, yeah. you know, how people are consuming media. Are there any, like, real, like, practical tools, programs, products that can help people tell their stories? Like, do you, aside well, from, like, an iPhone, let's say, or, like, is there anything, like, out there that you've used or that you know people use? Well, I think it's really important that you play with iMovie or, or Final yeah. Cut Pro okay. um, for anybody who wants to be able to communicate visually. And to me, that's the great opportunity from here on forward. Okay. I mean, that's where the revolution, this is the final rev digital revolution. The, the revolution of being able to move uh, visual images as fast as you can move the printed word. So if you have skills in that, and if you're able to turn around something that is visually impactful, um, that's a great skill to have. Um, and then the second thing is, and I'll repeat it again, um, seek out uh, the young people in your newsroom, give them authority, and listen to them. 
and um, because it's their world that we're operating in at my age, and uh, sometimes the hubris of the of the middle-aged and older uh, gets in the way of uh, you know a better business. Okay, you're middle-aged. You're, let's just say you're middle-aged. Oh, well, <laughs> Fifty-three. That's getting there. So if I heard you, it was iMovie and File. Final Cut Pro. Final Cut. Or, or their equivalents. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, bottom line, it's important to know yeah. how to process video and how to storytell visually. Okay. And there's lots of courses out there, everyone, and you can find them in your own communities. Finally, what's the future hold for digital news and storytelling? Where are we going to be in five years? We're in the early stages of a revolution. Uh, I've covered political revolutions. I've covered wars. And, uh, and all revolutions have the same pattern. Uh, at the beginning, uh, the old order falls apart quickly. It is followed by a period of chaos, and then people start to self-organize into new kinds of communities. Um, we are somewhere between the old order falling apart and the chaos. Uh, so knowing where it's going to organize in five years is impossible. Mm. Um, we're on a fast-moving river, and um, the best thing you can do is try not to bump into too many rocks. <laughs> okay. So with that, everybody, I hope you've got something out of this podcast. All you ought to do is just understand how to convey news value, what it's worth, think like a journalist, but then get out there and tell your stories. You'll be better off for it. Thanks very much to Kevin Newman. It's been a it's great been fun, Graham. Thanks. Thanks very much. And everybody, we'll see you next time on The Voice. You've been listening to the podcast of the International Association of Business Communicators, Ottawa Chapter, produced at the Media Style Studio. For more information, visit ottawa.iabc.ca.